Well, I need you, if you have a Bible, would you take it out? We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are in part 13 of our God Meets World series through the book of Ecclesiastes line by line. And, and also, if you could take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, we can begin. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank there with just some thoughts. And they'll be really basic because I really want to spend the majority of our time in this particular chapter to milk out all of it that God may have for us. So let me just cite this. With the question, how many of us are merely surviving life and we're not thriving in life? How many of us are kind of living to work instead of working to live? How many of us have really let things slip out to where we just think about existence every day? We don't enjoy life, we just live it. We don't look forward to tomorrow because we feel like tomorrow is going to be a lot like today. How many of us have allowed the enemy or the world to steal all of our joy? That we're literally going through all the time. Our schedules are packed. We're exhausted. We're wiped out. And all we're doing is just making it. I don't think that's how life ought to be. I I don't think that we should merely survive. I think that there should be a richness to life. I think that there should be a quality to life. I think that with all the gifts and all the beauty and the blessings and the favor that God pours upon us, I think there should be joy. Amen? I think there's something that we need to live our lives. God put us here for a reason. and, And none of those reasons were merely to just make it and exist. As a matter of fact, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The point of life isn't to avoid death. The point of life isn't to avoid death. It's to truly live. It's to truly live. Let's say, let's take it to the extreme. Let's say you are so concerned about keeping yourself safe, you live in a physical bubble, a biosphere that keeps you safe from disease, keeps you safe from everything, and you live to be 115. So what? Yeah, great. You outlived us all. That's awesome for you. But why? See, I would believe that there are some on this planet that live beyond a hundred and it doesn't matter. And I think that there are some that have died as martyrs before the age of 20 and everything they did matters. I don't think we're merely supposed to shield ourselves and wall ourselves off and try to make ourselves live longer for no reason. I think we need to live life. And it doesn't mean we take unnecessary risk. It means that we take necessary risk. It means that we cannot live as couch potatoes. We cannot live with building walls. We can't live in having cushion between us and everything that could possibly be difficult. I don't think that's a life worth living. I believe that when I read the Gospels, Jesus lived an extraordinary Christian life. I believe that when I read the book of Acts, I'm fascinated. When I look at the lives of most modern day Christians, I'm bored out of my mind. You understand what I'm saying? We're not living the exciting live on the edge, engage both the enemy and God on a daily basis that we need to be living. I think that we spend way too much time insulating Because we're so afraid that somehow it's going to go wrong. Is God in charge or is he not? He is. He is. I look at all of this and I start thinking to myself, are we even living? Are we even doing what God put us here to do? And I think for some of us, we need to break out of that comfort zone a little bit more and start living. 
As we enter into this chapter 9, I just want to give you a disclaimer. I have to give disclaimers all the time with this book because this book is crazy. I was talking with a with a guy that teaches for Epic Bible College and he said, man, I tell people, watch watch out for that book. Man, Ecclesiastes is like a black hole. If you don't read it in context, it looks like it's saying stuff that's totally the opposite of what Jesus said. So let me give you a disclaimer about this book and about this message. This author is a mess. He's all over the place, man. Sometimes he's like, man, it's better to die. Then you talk to him the next day, man, it's better to live. Dude, you can't have it both ways. Either it's one or it's the other. He's like, nope, it's both. Okay. The consistency just isn't there. And so you feel like you're chasing him around and you're going, what is your point, man? He's like, well, sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that. And and don't get me wrong. Remember, this guy is in Negativeville. I mean, he is looking out and he did a bad experiment. His experiment was to examine if there's goodness in this life without God. That's not going to be a fun time. You're going to be depressed because the answer is no, you don't have anything good without God. You take God out of the mix, you're done. There is no good. There is no satisfaction. So he's going through and he's just depressed all the time. So we decided to read it ourselves. Yay. (laughs) Right. All right. So let's go through this because the funny thing about that and the irony is this is one of the few times he actually gets positive. All right. So now he doesn't start that way. He doesn't end that way, but he has a little positive in the middle. So we're going to go with what we get. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse one. He said it this way. He said, and I'm going to read just verse 1 through 3. But all this I laid to heart, he said, examining it all. His experiment of life. Is there any gain in this world? Stuff like that. He said, and here's what I noticed. I noticed how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Okay, if you underline in your Bibles, you need to underline that phrase right there. The works that we do, the lives that we live are under the hand of God. And what you cannot miss is no matter what you hear next, this man, this author believes in the sovereignty of God. God's in charge. So whatever you hear next, we know God is in charge. All right. Then he said, but as far as our perspective, whether it's love or hate, man doesn't know. He doesn't know what's coming. Both are before him. Both are a possibility. Verse 2. And it's the same for all people. Since the same event, death, happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the ritually clean and the unclean, to him who religiously sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears an oath of honor is as he who shuns an oath. It's all the same. This is an evil and it bothers me greatly, he said, in all that is done in this world under the sun that the same event happens to everyone. He's so frustrated. Man, it doesn't seem... Everybody dies. It's not like you go, man, that person was super honorable, so God should have gave them extra time. Right? Everyone has had an experience where someone was taken too soon. You know what I'm talking about? Where you look and you go, man, if... No, 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 no. I can think of a hundred people that should pass away, not them. God, how come you don't ask me? (laughs) Right? I have a list. (laughs) Right? 
And he goes, man, it just seems like all the stuff that we're trying to do, um, we, we don't have any control over the, the outcome. So I, I just need all of us to kind of open up and bear our souls before everyone. Real quick, show of hands. How many of you are control freaks? Raise your hand. All right. Yep. We have a church full of them. Okay. All right. Just to keep everyone honest, quick show of hands. How many of you are sitting next to a control freak? Okay. Fantastic. All right. There you go. So you don't nominate you. I will have someone else nominate you. All right. You're such a control freak. You're like, I'm not raising my hand. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. I'll have somebody else out you. The problem with being a control freak is it's maddening. It, what you, here's here's kind of how you view life. You're like, man, I'm playing Legos and all of a sudden all the blue ones are gone. What in the world? Why is there some scary little gnome that took away my blue Legos? I can't build what I need to build when you keep messing with my Legos, right? And And so I'm trying to design a city and all the rules keep changing. I, I, I save for retirement all my life, and it just so happens that when I start to retire, the economy blo- implodes. Really, Lord? Or sure enough, I, I go to school for all of this, and then that particular area of careers is impacted, and I can't even do what I tried to do for school. Lord, Lord, it seems like I, I build up and I tried to meet the right person and I tried to prepare my heart for marriage and I tried to examine them and it ended in divorce. Are you kidding me, Lord? Like I'm trying to do everything I have in my power. I'm trying to do it all right. And the outcome is not what I want. Lord, it feels like you, when you look at everybody's lives, whether they're good or bad, you kind of do the Yahtzee dice and they just throw it out there. I mean, it's like you're treating everybody the same. Is, and he goes, that drives me crazy. Well, let's talk about it. What would happen if it wasn't really like that? Let's say the whole health and wealth garbage worked, right? Let's say, God, you could really tell from circumstances whether somebody was loved by God or whether somebody had God's favor. You could literally drive through neighborhoods and know who was righteous. You go up into the fancy areas, and you're like, yep, righteous, all the way through. Yep, yep, don't know how that guy made it, but whatever. All right, must be his wife, right? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, yeah, righteous. And then you go down to, like, the slum area, and you're like, sinners! Right? I mean, wouldn't that be weird? I don't think that's good. I'm glad it's kind of mixed up. But here's what's intriguing about it. You cannot tell... The love or acceptance or affirmation or appreciation or commendation of any person about how God feels about them by looking at the circumstances of their life. How do we know that? Because we can look at the best. Two times in the book of Ezekiel, God the Father says, even if these three guys were here, I would still bring judgment. When God calls out three men out of history, they're pretty awesome because he had billions to choose from. He picks three, and it's always the same three. Daniel, Noah, Job. He's like, these were my best of the best. If I was to grab a champion, you select your champion, I'll select my champion. Right? He grabs and he says, if I had a champion, it would be these guys right here. Daniel, he's nails. Noah, amazing. Job, extraordinary. Do you remember the story of Job? I mean, it was God's champion to such a degree. God is the one that starts the conversation. Hey, Satan, have you seen my champion? 
Have you seen this extraordinary man on all the earth? And Satan's like, well, you know what? The only reason he likes you is because you protect him. And God's like, oh, all right, look at the bus. Oh, hey, Job, and just throws him out in front of it. So Job was God's favorite, and he's known for having a horrible life. So how does that work? Noah, God's going to kill everyone, and there's one righteous guy. That's Noah, right? Do you realize all the other seven people on the ark, they didn't even deserve to be there. It's just Noah. If I was Noah, I would bring that up every day. (laughs) You're only on here because of me. You do not deserve to be on here. Do not mess with me. Do you want to go outside? Because I will make you go outside. This is my boat. Right? (laughs) Which is why I'm not Noah. (laughs) And you go, well, he got on the boat, so obviously God favored. He watched everyone die. That's not a good life, you guys. You cannot look at the circumstances of anybody's life around you and know whether God is really proud of them or not. You don't know that, and you can't look at your own either. Because that's not how God works. Pick it up in the end of verse 3. He says this. He said, also a thing that drives me crazy is the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And then after that, they go to the dead. Well, that's just depressing. (laughs) Here's all he said. Life's really hard. You're all evil and then you die. All right. Well, praise God. Let's move to verse (laughs) 4. Look at this. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. And you're like, oh, nice. Look at that. A little bit of hope. As long as you're alive, you have hope. Why? For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Oh, Good, that's a bumper sticker. How about you put that one on your car? A living dog's better than a dead lion. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so as an animal lover, I'm offended automatically. I don't I don't like this whole ism, right? This animalism or whatever it's called, where you, you put a lion above the dog. Anyway, so my dog licks me in the face and sleeps on my bed. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Now, yeah, all right, you're weird too. Okay, praise God. So here's the thing is that in the Middle East, dogs were not cute little puppy dogs. They were, they were known as kind of like vermin. They were full of disease and they were mean and nasty and they'd attack people. So dogs were not viewed very good. They were viewed as dishonor. The, the lion, however, was the king of the beast. And it was like, wow, it's a big deal. You're awesome. And you, you know, all that. So he, but what does he say? A live dog is better than a dead lion. As long as you're living, you got a shot. Well, that sounds kind of interesting. And why is it good to be alive? Look at verse 5. For the living know that they're going to die. Oh, well, great. Thank you. That was a big motivator. But the dead know nothing. They have no more reward. The memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy, all their passions have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Okay, if you don't read that in context, it sounds super weird. But here's the context. What is he looking for? What is this author looking for? He's looking for in this world without God in this life. Is there any gain? Is there anything you can get here? Is there any benefit? That's all he's concerned about. He's not interested in talking about the afterlife. He's not interested in talking about heaven. He's not interested in talking about anything outside of this life. So for him, death ruins the game. The minute you call it at death, there's no more gain. 
So he's like, all right, in my world, what I'm looking for in my experiment, death shuts down my process. So I don't like it. It's better that you're at least alive because then you can keep going in the game. That's the only reason why he would say that. Hmm. Verse 7. So how should we live? Go. Go. All right, let's do this. Uh, what does go mean in Greek? Go. What does go mean in Hebrew? Go. All right, am I moving too fast? Everybody with me? All right, good. Go means don't stay. Okay? So here's what we need to do. We can't live our lives hiding. We can't live our lives as couch potatoes. I said that. We can't live our lives not engaging with what God has for us. That is not living. Go. Get out there and live. And he said, as you go, I want you to have this attitude in the way you live. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, that's celebration. You would put on white garments for celebratory occasions, weddings and reunions and honoring times. He said, I want you to get ready and look like you're going to a party because it is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's what he said. Amen. Amen. He said, I want you to put oil on your face like you're going to a party. I want you to have the joy of the Lord in you. Do you realize the church should be the most joyful place on the planet? Yeah? Yeah, the world should be jealous of our joy. While they're worried about all the stuff in the politics, and they're worried about all the stuff in the government, and they're worried about all the stuff in the economy, and while they're worried about all the stuff about what's going to happen when they die, the church knows that our king is on the throne. Amen? The world should be able to look over and go, what are you smiling about? Right? Because we're going, my Jesus knows. My Jesus has been there. My Jesus conquers all. I can do all things who God through strengthens me. You know what I'm saying? And so it seems like we should be the most joyful people. And yet in many churches in America, and sometimes in this one, we got sour face. Like, man, where'd your joy go? Well, I'm bummed out because of all. you're going to list off all these things. I know. But if Paul and Silas can sing in a dungeon after they've been beaten, I don't think your circumstances are worse. So it's not circumstances. It's the attitude of what's deeper than all that. He said, I want you to live like it's a good day. I want you to live like there's a specialness of today. I want you to live like God's got more gifts for me. I want you to live like his mercies are new every morning. You know what I mean? And therefore, when we get that, some of us just need to change our perspective. Is God not good? He is. Does he not have great things for us? He does. Does he not have a future and a hope? Yes, he does. I think we're letting the world lie to us too much. I think we're getting caught up in what everybody else is caught up in. I think we're worried about stuff we shouldn't be worried about. Hmm. He said, let me say this as well, verse 9. Enjoy life with a wife whom you love. Doesn't that sound sweet? That's awesome. Uh, let's just read the whole, parad- the whole passage. <laughs> Enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Okay, well, clearly he doesn't work for Hallmark, yeah? 
Enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you into the sun because that is your portion in life. All right. Okay, first of all, don't sign that in your card. <laughs> Honey, the last ten vain years were awesome with you. Okay, that's... <laughs> but, but I do want to say something about marriage that, that is serious and it is on my heart. Marriage was supposed to be a blessing. If it's not, something's wrong. And this whole business about where we're going to take uh, from the world and and we're just going to use our marriages and all we're going to do is complain about them, that they're the problem, right? Oh, my life would be great if it wasn't for this woman you gave me, if it wasn't for this man you gave me. Okay, that's garbage. Because here's the deal. You are married to that person. Well, you know what? We got married under the wrong auspices. You are married. And if it's broke, we need to fix it. And if it is broke beyond getting back to where it was, maybe we don't need to get back to where it was. Maybe we need to get to a place it's never been. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe we need to build a marriage. Maybe the marriage doesn't even exist. It is miserable because it's not even a marriage yet. Yeah, I get it. You are legally in contract. I get your roommates. What I'm telling you is I'm not sure we even have a marriage. And people go, well, it can't be fixed. I think you have a very short sight. I think that God can do all things. I think that there is a way, especially if you're a believer. If you have the Holy Spirit, then certainly God can fix it. We are. Uh, there is no circumstance you're going to give me that God cannot solve. Now, you can come up to me as a counselor and I can d- dive into all my books and all that stuff. And I may be stymied. I may not know the answer. You may throw something out to me. And I'm like, yeah, that, you're right. That's messed up, man. I don't I don't know how to unwind that one. But but I'm not the final answer, am I? God is the final answer and he's got creativity and knowledge and wisdom. I don't have. So he's got stuff you're not thinking. You're estimating it out and you're saying with the pieces I'm working with, I can never build this. You don't know all the pieces. God's got more pieces. But I want to tell you this. We can't look at our partners as the problem. We can't look at our spouses as the competition. The way it's supposed to go is, wow, this life is really hard. I would love to partner with somebody that we can help guide and lead each other through it. That's what marriage is supposed to be. We've turned it into this, man, my life's hard. You're making it worse, right? Or man, you know, you're the main... Stop with that. We can't do that. We can't do that. He said, as far as your job goes, let's take a look at that. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, you got to do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. Okay, Sheol is the place of the dead. They did not have at this time a very well worked out system of the afterlife. Depending on who you read, some of them are like, the afterlife, yay. And other guys are like, no, it's kind of lame. So here is their view in general. When you die, you go to holding cells. There's the good side of the holding cell and there's the bad side of the holding cell. So the good side, they were like, man, that's where all the righteous people go. That's where Abraham goes. Uh, you know, God's blessing is there. I don't know if necessarily God's there, but, but it's a good place. I mean, compared to the other side, it's paradise, man. And then there's the bad side. The bad side is where all the bad people go. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, it's torment. And they're holding them back and it's, it's like a jail. 
Now, whether they're right or wrong, Jesus changed all that. And we're going to be talking about that. But, but I just need you to see this. He said, when you work, I want you to work hard. You know, the Christian work ethic is always work hard. But I need us to remember, we've already talked about work in this series a lot, so I don't want to spend too, many time, too much time on it. But I need you to remember this. Work is a gift from God. I know that you think your work is the problem. When you're out of work, you'll see it's a blessing. I have an awful lot of friends in this church that don't have a job, and they are dying to work. They just can't find the employment. So if you have a job, you are blessed. And I know it's not what you want. I know it's not perfect. And I know it's all kind of messed up. What I'm telling you is you have a job, and it is an opportunity to serve the Lord. And I think that we should have a good work ethic. But above all that, let's go one step higher. Beyond all of that, here's what he's also saying. If you're working for God and getting stuff done, then glory is going to him. And I need you to hear this deep thought for a moment. There is glory that you can bring God here in this life that you will never, ever be able to bring him in the next. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, Lance. What, what, what are you talking about? Because in heaven... I'm not going to have the sin. I'm not going to have the hurt. I'm not going to have the pain. So shouldn't I be able to glorify him more? Oh, you'll glorify him, but you'll glorify him different. Why? Because you have one tiny limited opportunity to serve God under suffering. There is a certain type of glory you will never, ever get again. The idea that you would serve God when you can't see him, you're never going to wrestle with that again. And there's a certain great cloud of witnesses that needs to see what it looks like for someone to serve God when it's not going well for him. You know what I'm talking about? You will never, ever again have the opportunity to serve God in hardship and in pain and in suffering and in doubt and in fear. You're never going to have that. The enemy is never going to be able to look again to you in all kinds of scared, fear, uncertainty, and yet clinging to God. You know what I mean? So we serve him now. We bring him glory now. We bring him glory in a different way now. And then we'll bring him glory then. But understand, we can't go backwards. When God gets rid of all the garbage, when he gets rid of all that suffering, when he gets rid of all that pain, it's a different glory. And God wants glory on both sides. Otherwise, he would have taken you out of here a long time ago. We're still here. Right? Let's move on. He said this. And again, I saw that under the sun, verse 11, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Pause. If you take that out of context, you're going to miss it. What did I tell you to mark out originally? What did I tell you to underline? It's all in the hands of God. He knows very well God is in charge. So why is he saying this? Because from our vantage point, you don't even know what's going on. So it looks like time and chance to you, doesn't it? You don't know your time. You don't know your opportunities. Only God does, and he's not telling anybody. So yeah, it feels somewhat random. Legos go missing. Right? But he knows. For man does not know his time, verse 12. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. 
Understand, when he says, well, the race is not to the swift, he's not saying that your privileges and your talents and your abilities don't matter. They do matter, but they're not a guarantee. So, so yeah, we work hard, we utilize our gifts, we put everything into play, we try really, really hard, but we got to have a humility that someone else is making the call. And when it doesn't go your way, you're not allowed to hate God for it. As if you're in charge, as if the world revolves around you. You understand what I mean? Uh, that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to lead this church the best that I know how. I'm going to try to love people the best way I know how. And I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff wrong. But even if I did everything right and it doesn't go the way I want it to, I'm not the one that calls the shots. If ultimately I I don't get to continue on in ministry or somehow something goes wrong or whatever, I don't get to hate God for that. He's the one pulling the strings, right? Is there any humility in our spirit that allows that? He closes out with a story. He said this, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed like a big deal to me. Verse 14, there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. All right, so the, all you got to know is this is an improbable story of doom, man. There's a little tiny city, totally not a lot of people. Big guy comes in, surrounds the city, builds all these siege works. He's ready to destroy this thing. And then look what happens. But there was founded in a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. And you're like, yeah, I love that story. Woo! Right? I mean, that guy's like, he worked so hard in, in honoring God, and he tried to learn wisdom, and he gained in knowledge and strategy. So he steps in. Everything's going bad. He steps in. Boom! Saves the city. Woohoo! Look at the next line. No one remembered that guy. Uh-uh. Remember that time our city was saved? Yeah, 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 totally. What was that guy's name? Um, 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 I don't know. Yeah, that's you. That's me. But I do say, he said, that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Okay, wisdom matters. Y'all, we need to live in wisdom, but it's not a guarantee everything's going to go your way. And just because it doesn't go your way doesn't mean you throw wisdom out. Wisdom does matter. How you live does matter. The decisions you make does matter. But it's not a guarantee that everything's going to go awesome. God makes that call. What if he doesn't need you to be more awesome? What if he needs to be awesome? What if your failure means his glory? You okay with that? Because that's a tough one. As we close out, I just want to share with you two things. This chapter, this book, could never be written today. Not by a believer. No way. Why? Because Jesus told us the other part of the story. There is no way 
that you're going to write this book. There's no point. Now, I understand his point was saying, I'm just examining the world. I know, but Jesus already said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The world's got nothing for us. So Jesus blew it out of the water. And here's what he said. This life is of one sort. The next life is of another sort. Let's plan for both. Let's do this one well and plan for that one. Let's lay up riches in heaven. Let's store up reward in heaven. What Jesus said is, I've been to the other side. I conquered the very thing you're trying to avoid. See, all history, since the moment we failed God from Adam and Eve's sin... All the way throughout history, the enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, that guy has been able to bully us with one thing. Dude, I will kill you if you stand against me. And we've always been afraid of death, always been afraid of death. We will cave, we will compromise, we will do all sorts of things just so we don't die because we thought death was so scary. And Jesus walked in and shut all that down. And said, I defeated death. Now I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to turn around and use the one club he used to club my kids. And I'm going to turn it around to say, you going to kill my kids? All you're doing is putting them closer to my chest. You can't do anything to my kids. I'm going to make it a pathway right into my presence. Are you going to hold that over their heads? Because they're not afraid of you anymore. Because I stepped in and I died on the cross for their sins. Therefore, they are not going to be shut down. They're not going to be cast out. They're not going to be abandoned. They will always be with me. And you can't take my kids away from me. Therefore, they're not afraid of you. Therefore, you don't get to hold it over their head. Therefore, you don't get to constantly remind them, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Hey, you know what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you got? You understand what I mean? That's why this book couldn't be written. Not the same way. But here's the other thing I want to close with. I keep talking about the glories of being a believer. Man, the light's on inside. Not everything is perfect. Not everything is easy. But wow, you got God. Things are good between you and God. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. You walk in grace. That's your new identity. You're adopted. I mean, keep telling all this stuff, right? I mean, isn't that what I'm doing every week? I'm in there telling you, man, you know what? Those stuff in the world doesn't matter because you've got something greater. And I'm talking about the beauty of Christ and wow, he's your savior and he's your Lord and all that. Well, that's awfully rude if not everybody here is a Christian. I keep talking about wise living. Who cares about wise living if we don't know Jesus? Who cares about all this other stuff? All those blessings I was talking about, they don't apply to you if you don't know Jesus. So the whole idea that anyone within the sound of my voice, anyone on live stream, anyone on the radio, the whole idea on podcast that you don't know Jesus and you're listening to all this awesome encouragement until Jesus saves you, we haven't started and it doesn't apply. So here's what I want to do. We're going to close out and I'm going to pray for you. If you have never yet said, Lord, I own it and I need to be rescued, today's the day. So I need the prayer team to come on up here and join me in the front. I'm going to lay out for you very practically what God is offering to you. And then we're going to pray. And if that's what you want, you're going to raise your hand. I'm just telling you where we're going. So here's how it goes. God really, really loves you. 
Now, I know you don't feel like it, but how you feel about it does not change the fact of it. He really, really loves you, and he initiated a love for you before you even knew he existed. The fact that you're even here is because God drew you. So here's what I'm telling you. He loves you so much that he can't handle you being away from him. And if you're away from him, he's not okay. And you're not okay. So Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that he would trade with you. He died on the cross to give you grace and forgiveness and cleansing. But he's not going to force that on you. He's going to say, is that even something you want? Do you want to be with me forever or do you want to be away from me forever? What do you want? Because I want you. And I will hound you and hound you and hound you and love you and love you and love you, but I can't make you love me. Do you want me or not? But in order to hand our lives over and let him in, we don't get to be the king of our lives anymore. That's where we have to go. You're right, God, my bad. I'm out. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I've been so focused on me because I didn't even know you existed, man. But I've been all about me. Do you understand all about me is anti-God? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're selfish. And so am I. And I need the grace of God to rescue me. So do you. So we're going to pray. And if that is you, I'm going to have you lift up your hand just as a sign to God in a moment. And I'm going to pray. And you just mean that in your heart as I pray. All right? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. And right now, if you need the rescue of Jesus Christ for the first time, or you need to know for certain that you are rescued and saved, I want you to raise your hand right now. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Yep. Totally. Yep. Who else? All right. I'm going to pray with you. Everyone that raised their hand, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we need you. We're raising our hands saying, I want to be rescued. I want to be saved. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made whole. Your word says that you can even remove the stain of sin in our lives. You have even said that you can take out the baggage, the garbage, and it never is on our record. It's never going to come back on us. It's never going to destroy us. And it will not keep us away from you. That Jesus, your salvation is greater than our failure. And so right now, while we can see you, while we know you, while you've opened up our hearts, we say, yes, God, we need your salvation, Lord. And we don't want to be in charge anymore. Yeah. Our flesh does, our our selfishness does, but we know that's that's not good. And so we say we choose you. So God rescue us. Jesus, all that you did on the cross, fix us. Save us. We know that we're broken. We know that we're messed up. We know that we've been fighting against you. And so we say no more. You can have our guns. You can have our resistance. And we just need to be saved. Heal us, God, today. Holy Spirit, come and fill us up. Bring the presence of God into our lives. Transform us and change us. Take us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Turn on the light within our spirits that we might be brand new, born again, new creations, adopted into the family of God. All of that, that we may walk from here. In freedom. God, I pray over the prayer team right now. 
that, Lord, for all of us that raised our hands, some of us, we really need to talk about it. And we need to go up and pray. We want to talk with you, Lord. And these are our representatives. Would you empower our prayer team to know how to listen, to know how to pray, to know how to encourage and direct, to know how to cover us? Lord, there are some of us that you brought us here today physically hurting because your healing was waiting. I ask that you would anoint our team, that everyone you want healed would be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray right now that anyone that needs a word from you would get it. I pray right now, Lord, that no one leaves here empty. I pray that your blessing would fall upon us, your favor would fall upon us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have more and more of us and it would be less and less of us. We praise you as the great and glorious one. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.